Craigslist for 2000 bucks now sells for like 600 bucks. Wherever they go, whatever they, they decision they make just explodes in their face. Like their track record is incredible. <laughs> no matter what, they are the Jim Cramer of companies. <laughs> yes. This podcast contains the arguably witty banter of two friends, Skippy and Dougals, that like to debate about investing. The content is intended to be entertaining and for informational purposes only, not investment advice. You should do your own research and consult a financial professional before using any of the information in this podcast, and especially before investing. There's so much nonsense in the LBC, man. Oh, speaking of nonsense, you ever read Rich Dad, Poor Dad? That book? I, I did. I Hot garbage. Okay, hold on. No, the book's not terrible. There's a reason the book's been a bestseller for like 20 years. The book, fine. The book basically says, spend money on assets that make you money instead of assets that don't make you any money. That's reasonable. This dude, though, he has a radio show. He has a bunch of other stuff. I'm not even going to mention the dude's name. I'm so upset with him. He's now on his radio show six months ago. He said crypto's garbage. And now he's saying this is the worst crash ever. He's predicting the future. And you should go get yourself some crypto. What does crypto do for you? It doesn't produce. <laughs> it's a, it's a non-producing asset. Goes against hot, his entire philosophy. Hot garbage. I, I, right. you're right. Because the the book on its own is what it is. It's just when I, I cringe when I see it on like the top ten books you should read for whatever. I just cringe yeah. not because it's not because of the book. It's like all the other stuff I've had to listen to that comes out of his mouth since the book came out. It's just like because if you if you read the book and then start following, then I'm like, ugh. So like, don't read the anyway. I don't I don't want to speak ill. I guess I do. But I mean that that's you you built a whole company on a philosophy that you just threw out the window. That it's odd. Yeah. It just tells you why we should appreciate people like Jason Swag who constantly say very rational, meaningful things and do it for 40 years in a way that makes sense. Preach on it. So Preach shout out. It. Hey, I know we got a lot to get to today. Uh, hit us up with a review if you get a chance. We also have premium subscribers. Today's show is going to be rapid fire. It's going to be quick. We're going to cover a bunch of issues. So I think we'll just dive right in, Douglas. Can you hit us with a clip? This this so encapsulates the oddness of our times. Here, let's let's listen to it. Raising rates right now is really pushing on a string and just going to make the recession deeper. We're already in a technical recession. We typically don't raise rates 75 basis points a, a throw into a recession. You typically don't have central bankers using the word pain twice in, uh, in speeches at Jackson Hole. And you typically don't have other boards of governors like we saw yesterday say, you know, we don't want to see the market up 200 points. This is a, this is a period in time in which we want to see a contraction. We're expecting to see a meaningful decline. And you know, the real key here is, Meb, they put 40% more money in the system in 18 months. That has never happened before in the history of our country. And it is a complete disaster, right? The one institution that's charged with policing inflation is the one institution that can create it. And they created massive amounts of inflation. That clips from the Med Favor show this week. You know how when you have a really good bottle of wine, Dougal, sometimes you got to Pop that thing open, put it in the decanter, and kind of let that marinate a little. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I think we just got to digest all, all that's going on there. I agree. Let's let's recap it a little bit, hit on the major points, and then let the folks digest. 
So technical recession, we've talked about that. Two straight quarters of negative growth. There's debate as to where we'll end up there. Inflation isn't coming down nearly as quickly as folks would like. We're still in the 8% range when you talk about year-over-year CPI metrics. Jay Powell and his boys drinking wine in Jackson Hole are saying more pain is coming. It's very likely another 75 basis point uh, rate increase is coming. This is a, a unique time. But the reason I wanted to play that clip is because it encapsulates it all in a way that maybe makes you a little scared. At least it does for me. I mean, we've been talking about fright for a while because this is scurry times. One of the phrases I love that he hits on in there is when he says, you don't typically raise rates into a recession. Yeah. Like, let, let's just let's let's talk about a couple different elements that are in there that are mind blowing a little bit for me. And look, this stuff isn't easy. I I don't envy being in Jerome Powell's position. I don't. But we if you go back a couple of years, so you go back to 2020 and no one knows what's going on in the world. And that's when we put the 40 percent or started putting the 40 the percent additional money into the system that he's talking about mm-hmm. in order in order to save businesses and in order to save people's like livelihoods. Right. That's why we did it. Now we are raising interest rates into a potential recession knowingly putting businesses out of business, <laughs> knowingly endangering people's livelihoods. Again, on the front end, we didn't know what was going on in the world, right? So I mean, so it's it's hard to 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 say anything ill about that, but it's it's interesting putting it into perspective like that. But here's the thing. I mean, they don't they back themselves into a corner. There's no other choice because inflation's so out of control that if you even keep rates steady, you don't get that under control and maybe uh, the recession is less severe, but your economy just it gets destroyed by runaway inflation. This is why the ball your eye should always be on the inflationary stuff. And what makes me matter is the we went around Jay Powell himself being like, oh, it's transitory, nothing to worry about, blah, blah, blah. That's where you waited 12 months too long. And and now you're stuck. So I'm totally with, I mean, raise rates to 10% tomorrow. I don't care. We've talked about this. Like, I just say, bring the pain and get it over. But uh, they can't not raise rates, but it is a very unique situation because the bring the pain, baby. We don't make predictions on the show. We're not making predictions, but this is unique. And rising rates is not going to help the predicament we're in, except for maybe get inflation under, under control, which is has to be the number one target. Exactly right. And we were hitting on this during last year, right? Because you're exactly right. You can't blame them for maybe you can get you can blame some of the details, but not really. You can't really blame what they did in 2020. Can't really blame them for what they're doing right now. But last year, you can blame them for investing in the stock market while the punch bowl was getting filled up constantly by them and having a year that was flat out just wasted from a from a Fed responsibility perspective oh yes well and 2021 or whenever where you're saying the bubble pops is is often called the everything bubble right the only way you get that everything buff bubble where basically all pr- assets are overpriced is when the fed goes crazy 
And when interest rates are way too low for way too long and they're uh, writing people checks left, right, and center. So if we tie this back to things we talked about last week with an optimistic lens, first is, man, you could get a three-month CD right now over 3%. And that's before the expected interest rate rise of 75 basis points coming up soon. Like We're starting to get to the point where you could get to that 4 to 5% range in risk-free rates, which is pretty exciting. We talked a lot about the banking system last week, specifically with rates paid on banking account. And just after we talked about that, the Wall Street Journal came out and said that banks lost, got to get the number right here, $370 billion in deposits in the second corner. So this is actually flipping like we hypothesized that it might because people are looking for safer places to put their funds and the banks, the big banks haven't been rewarding them for that. I'm okay. <laughs> Every, everything you said, yes. I'm. I'm still continuing. You mentioned uh, being scared earlier, based from from based on this clip. I'm st- I'm getting more and more frightened every day when I read about consumer behavior. Right now, it's super scary to me. I take I take into account what you just said. I take into account. Uh, I'm going to bring up some. I'll reach into the fishbowl for a second and quick hit on this buy now pay later ish, which we also. Yeah had talked about before. So buy now, pay later. It's when you are able to purchase a good through a company like Klarna, a firm, there are some others, and you pay very, very low or 0% interest on that, but split it out over weeks or sometimes months. It could be even longer for something that's a bigger purchase like a Peloton. And the thing that we had talked about is consumers don't know how to manage their money. And so what, what's going to end up happening is you're going to end up having, through all those companies, buy now, pay later loans, you're not managing your ledger or knowing really what's going on, and then you're going to fall behind in payments. We talked about this like 12, 14 months ago or something like that. I open up my newspaper. I don't. I think you actually do read the newspaper. I don't. I, I really went online and got hit over the face with this. You ready for this? Americans took out about $24 billion in buy now, pay later loans in 2021. What do you think they took out in 2019? I mean, $2 billion? $2 billion. 12 times as much. And hold on, hold your horses, because this year, 2020 deuce, this year, so far for Klarna, so just one of the companies, Customers have bought $41 billion worth of stuff. So all of last year, all the companies, $24 billion. Just up in 10 yeah, this year for Klarna, $40 billion. And delinquencies are rising because they don't know what they're doing. Well, okay. I knew you were going to go here. You're so predictable sometimes. First and foremost, you got to tell me what's happening in the credit card space. Because if debt is transferring from credit card debt to buy now, pay later, I can live with that. If they're just both ballooning, then that's a concern. But specifically with the $370 billion that the Wall Street Journal mentions coming out of bank accounts, my hypothesis was people were chasing rates elsewhere. But I think what you're saying is probably more likely. People are feeling the pinch of inflation and everything else, and they're just taking money out of their bank accounts to actually spend. And so it's not a as much of an interest rate play as it's just like the consumer is under pressure right now. And 
that's something to be concerned about, especially when we're raising rates into a recessionary environment and that the stock market this week was not pretty. Again, we don't make predictions, but like it doesn't seem to have a rosy picture in front of us either. I don't like to say this, but you are exactly right. And because if you're if you're not spending here, but you're spending there, right? If it's cannibalizing, yeah. that's one thing. According to MasterCard, spending on its network jumped 18% so far this year, over last year. So you're getting all the MasterCards gone on. You're taking out the money from the bank. This is the cash crunch that we've been talking about. Your buy now, pay later is going on, right? Tony needs his Peloton, I guess. No, not Peloton. Yeah. They're not selling anything anymore. But it's this. This is. It's like it's not. It's not. It's not. It's not. It's not. It's just not. What is and it not? Positive. Peloton is amazing. I I want to like use them as an economic indicator more and more. They're starting to try and uh, set up a selling used bikes arm like a refurbished bike thing they're starting to do that when basically the market for used bikes has completely crashed and the thing that used to sell on craigslist for two thousand bucks now sells for like 600 bucks wherever they go whatever they they decision they make just explodes in their face like their track record is incredible (laughs) no matter what they are the jim kramer of companies like yes we can consistently make the wrong decision over and over. It's so impressive. It's um, really, really. It's like me and my uh, my March Madness basketball picks. Like <laughs> this is, it's amazing. Like it's impressive how poor it is. Yes. Can I can I hit on one thing that you're gonna hate? Yeah. Just because you mentioned the stock market not being pretty this week. Tuesday of this week was the worst day in the stock market since March of 2020 for the Nasdaq specifically. I will pause just to let you rant on that. Who, who cares? There you go. Okay, that was the shortest rant of all time. The reason I'm saying that it matters is so whenever people are like, it's the biggest day since or worst day since, generally does not matter. March of 2020 was the time of ultimate uncertainty when like the the stock market, like computers were triggering to halt trading during that time because things were falling so much. This Tuesday for me was miraculous because what happened on Tuesday was the inflation report came out and inflation, as you mentioned, like didn't go down as much as folks, uh, folks thought it would. Why the heck did folks thought it would? Like, it doesn't make any sense. We just put, as our, as our good friend was just saying, put 40% more liquidity right into the marketplace. And you thought raising rates for like a day and a half was going to drop inflation that much such that that the market reacted with a, like a 5% drop that day uh, as much as I a mean, March 2020 no folks are dumb you're you're trying to make sense of short term movements in the stock market talk to me about what happens over 3 to 5 years and we can talk i don't care about a day it's just a bunch of idiots sorry <laughs> sorry <laughs> it's just a bunch of people that aren't long term investors that aren't value based that bought a bunch of garbage that was that uh, price to sales ratios of 30 to 50. And then they're going, oh, you know what? This company actually doesn't make any money. And I'm freaking out. I don't care about those people. It's a, it's good for me because there's more deals out there today than there was a week ago. And there's That's some right. juicy deals, which we'll talk about at a later episode. True, true story. Can I, All right, what's, what's can I keep the rapid fire going? Yeah, so go, go, go. Bloomberg did this thing this week. Uh, all they did was prop plot a percentage 
of Congress that is over the age of 70. That's all they did. They went back to 1800. In 1800, people didn't live to be 70, so the percentage was zero. <laughs> but it hovered at less than 5% for the majority is like pre-1920s. And then from the 20s to, say, 2000, it was between that 5 and 10% range. This is the percentage of people in Congress that are over 70%. In the past 20 years, we've gone to, from 5% to 23%, an all-time high. Like if, if this was investing, this is exactly where you want to be. You should see the exponential growth of this curve in the last 20 years. There's one quote here. This sharp increase means that today, Congress is uniquely unrepresentative of the country. Go on. This is terrible. That's all it is. I don't care about your political party. If there's someone older than 65, vote them out. That's my recommendation because it's true. Like this is not, these are not people. If you're 70 years old right now, I don't know. Did you even have like plumbing when you were five? Like, okay, hold on. Before you get too ageist, before you get too ageist, (laughs) I think that the two points that are important here are, as you mentioned, representation of the country. And the other is something we talked about a bunch is making long-term bets. It's harder how it's harder for you as a human being to care as much about what's happening in the long term when you ain't going to see it. Now you can say, what about your kids? What about your grandkids? But still, I just think I think from a a natural human instinct, as you get older, I think is to protect and not to make like not to invest and make bets, right? As you're getting older, you're transferring over to more bonds, unless you're Nancy Pelosi's husband. Then you you buy yeah. whatever the you know buying options on whatever they're going to vote on. Exactly. Yes. So let me jump in. I'm sorry, my my rant was in poor taste there, and I don't even mean it. Like there are plenty of 72 year olds that are well grounded, hip, uh, long term thinkers, those sorts of things. But if we are generalizing here, who who? is more likely to have a long-term view that's good for the country. Someone that's 35, 45, 55, or someone that's 75. Like, so I, I want to walk back my approach, but I do want to say strongly, I think Congress should be representative of the country. And it seems like it's unlikely that it actually is today. I guess that's That's it. That's right. From a variety of standpoints. I mean, you're just hitting on age, but you look at like overall demographics. Congress, yeah, look like the the over uh, there's, yeah, exactly. That it's mind blowing. The graph, you're right though. The graph itself, just looking at it, I mean, it, it looks like the Nasdaq 100 going into to 2022. Like that, that's like what yeah. the graph looks like, right? It's such an exponential growth curve. Wild. All right, next quick hit, quick hit. All right, so can we talk Patagonia a little bit? The internet is. I'm going to continue picking beef in this case. Uh, so I just g- gave a shout out to Bloomberg that did an incredible breakdown of Congress being representative of the country. In this case, I just can't stand uh, what I think is is poor reporting that came out of them. So first and foremost, if you don't know, uh, the Patagonia founder gave away the company to a nonprofit. The company's estimated to be worth $3 billion and makes about $100 million in profits per year. Whatever you think of that, my favorite take here is it's a win for capitalism because what capitalism says is you sh- when you make money, you should be able to do what you want with the money. This is what he wanted to do. That's not what most people want to do. Thoughts, Diggles. Agreed. I mean, it's what Buffett's doing. It's what Gates is doing as well. They're doing it very differently. 
very differently. Yeah. But they're so, giving away all of their money. Where I think, uh, so props to all those guys. Anyone that's giving away significant sums of money, whether you're Zuckerberg, Buffett, it, what, whoever you are, awesome work. I'm going to applaud that 100 times out of 100. What he's doing is a little different in my eyes. I can't think of anyone else that like is worth billions that gave away billions without having other billions like sitting on the side somewhere. You know, like, oh, I'm going to give away 99% of my wealth. So I'm only worth 5 billion bucks because I'm actually worth a uh, significant sum. This is like, listen, I'm not claiming the guy's poor, but <laughs> it's like everything. It's like, here, this yep. is all my money. It's gone. So yeah, n- agreed. I mainly, I wasn't, um, what I was mainly reacting to was people are getting so mad about this because they're just calling it a tax break. When you have people like Gates and Buffett that are giving away a whole, like a whole lot more, ignoring how much they're retaining. And like, I didn't see the same reaction to that. Right. But like, like I think Buffett gave away half of his, at some point, it might, it's probably more now. But yeah. half of his Berkshire Hathaway stock to the Gates Foundation, right, which was tens of billions of dollars in that case. But it wasn't the same reaction here. See, people seem to be so livid about, about this fact. Like, why are you getting so upset? Go go on. I mean, that's where I lose my mind. This uh, Bloomberg article that came out quotes uh, Ray Madoff, a Boston College law professor. This is highly problematic from the point of view of democracy, and it could mean a higher tax burden for the rest of America. Are you are you freaking kidding me right now? Like, this is what is going to help democracy continue. Like, you need this to happen. First of all, he didn't write the tax code. The tax code says if you (laughs) give away three billion dollars, you might save seven hundred million in taxes. But anyone implying that he did this to save 700 million in taxes has no freaking clue what they're talking about. You know why? Because he gave away all his money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He actually, and, and he's he been planning to do away, this forever. Well, he well, could have given away his money. Mean, yeah. 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 In a more tax efficient manner, he's actually paying $15 million to establish this in a way that it truly goes to a nonprofit without maximizing taxes. Like it's so backward. There, there's lots of criticisms that might be valid, but to claim that this was for a tax break, I think just, just means you have no clue what actually happened here or any of the background of the 49 years of this company. This I'll call it case study story, whatever you want to say is like perfect capitalism from start to finish. I don't mean from like a perfectly run business perspective, but if you just think about like what capitalism could do for a society, to your point, if you go back 50 years and look at every, all the choices that at least that I've seen publicly, right, that they've made, the causes they've given to, the way that they run the business, and then to end here is like perfection. I mean, it's, you you couldn't architect that in a different way. So shut your Twitter pie hole. (laughs) Quote of the year. If we keep it moving, uh, I don't want to monopolize the conversation, Diggles. But so I'm reading the best book that I've read, uh, gosh, in 12 months. It's called Status and Culture. It's by David Marks. He's a Tokyo author, and we might have to get him on the show, or we might have to do a much larger breakdown of the book. I want to give you a like three-minute recap and then tell you how things like the Patagonia story and other stories from this week are screaming at me about the brilliance of this book. So 
I'll get there in a roundabout way. First is anyone that took like a basic micro or macro economics course knows that at least if you took it 20 years ago, knows that uh, generally economics was saying like the price is where supply meets demand. People make rational decisions. Then behavioral economics comes along and says, you know what? There's actually more to it. Sometimes people aren't paying that cable bill, the $70 a month or the $100 a month, because it's the most rational decision they can make. There's like these friction, these, th- there's these externalities that cause people to make decisions that aren't the most efficient. So we, we got, we grew from an economics perspective and how we teach and how we understand it by behavioral economics. Uh, what David Marks says is that to me, he doesn't do a direct tie to economics, but that's what it screams to me. He says, on top of that, people make decisions based on status and culture. And people make decisions because it's like in the human DNA to conform to your social group. It's really weird. I don't know if, you know, our listeners have ever like moved um, out of the States to another country or just started hanging out in a different neighborhood or in a different socioeconomic group. What almost always happens is people conform to each other and you start to wear the same type of brands or you start to, I mean, this happens with obese and non-obese people or athletic and non-athletic people like this is hardwired into how we work as humans and those type of things translate to economic decisions which are just incredibly meaningful to how the world goes around and i will i will dive into that but i want to pause here and uh get initial reaction i want to read this book you are the best salesperson for this book i really want to read it what you just said makes it makes perfect sense to me i think it's absolutely right it gets to uh if you get on more of like the behavioral economic side you probably get closer to this with an economics but you don't you know you don't quite hit it but i think that is right that's why like apple has built a company on culture that is that's how they built this whole thing and and so the ties this week and there's i think we might do like a full book report on this if you like it as much as i do doogles or maybe we'll have uh david on the show but First is a Wall Street Journal article about teens wearing old rock band shirts, like things like Nirvana, the Rolling Stones. They went around and started sampling these teens and asked them what they liked about the music. It turned out the teens wearing the Nirvana t-shirts don't even know who Nirvana is. There's a cachet. There's a status. There's a culture that comes with this. They saw someone on TikTok in a Rolling Stones shirt. They admired that person. They wanted to be like that person. These things are selling like hotcakes. Like all over the place, you're seeing basically concert t-shirts that people don't even wear. So that's the first example where status and culture is driving economic behavior, which is making the world go around. The second thing, we just talked about Patagonia, right? I worked in banking for over a decade. I could never put together why. Uh, Most of the time I was in like slacks and a button up. But if I threw on a Patagonia pullover, that was like accepted. I did it because it was comfortable. What's actually happening is I have a little tag on the front of my t-shirt or my sweater or whatever that says I paid a lot of money for this. And some reason, because I paid a lot of money for it, like I couldn't wear the Target version of that. It would not have been allowed in the office. But because I paid a lot of money for that, the status and culture, people, you know, we're going, that's accepted here. And it became more popular. And there's a whole joke about like VCs wearing Patagonia vests. You can go back to the Silicon Valley show. So 
things like that are super enlightening for me. That's why I recommend the book. And that's why I think we'll do a follow up here, but just fascinating behavioral and uh, like financial ties to how we work as humans. I think it ties a lot to all the meme stocks we've talked about as well. I mean, that's the, the Reddit Wall Street bets culture. I, I think just people being a part of that makes them want to participate in what's happening at what happened right with like the amc and the apes i think like, like that is a lot of it it's this i don't think the people are trying to say how do i juice my risk adjusted returns let me go to wall street bets yeah right i they're they're saying like this is a community that i can belong to it's not, it feels good to be within this uh, I, I i'm really looking forward to this thank you i'm gonna read this book Awesome. I'm excited about it. Here's the homework for our listeners. If you really want next time you're with a group of friends or whatever, just, just step back, look at what people are wearing. Look at how people act. Look at the type of drinks people order. Odds are there's going to be like a commonality there. There, There's not going to be, if there's six people at the bar, there's not going to be five people ordering a PBR and one person ordering like a martini with three olives dry. But, you know, it doesn't happen. People conform to things because it's more comfortable. So we'll do a follow-up on that. I think it's really great. I'm super excited to break it down with you. All right. Here's my here's my next quick hit. Jay-Z. You familiar? Oh, yeah. Say a little something. Well, <laughs> actually, I can't tell that story on the pod. I'm a fan. Did you know that it, he used to have 99 problems, but with inflation, he has 102 point four problems now <laughs> different jay-z i'm talking about jason swag the author and the the person that likes to that we like to talk about um his wall street journal pieces on different jay-z but i love that too piece this week which has i'm gonna i'm just gonna say it there's all sorts of confirmation bias all up in this piece for me and you specifically because it's like it just it said so many things that you've been talking about for a while and then hit on one point that I have too. So I'm just going to say that off the get. A couple quotes that are just awesome from this piece. And it's about stock market bargains uh, is what the, the, the article is about. So the first quote, markets almost always misprice the obvious. Blow, blew my mind. Second one, stock prices impound the expected. If the future unfolds according to the consensus, markets won't move much. Surprise is the source of extra returns, magnifying gains and losses alike. That was the point that we were talking about before of like, what is the next surprise, right? Um, yeah. And what he mostly talks about in here is international stocks, which is what you've been gibbagabbing about for years now. And when he's talking about surprises there, he goes, one, as you said, international stocks have greatly underperformed U.S. stocks over the last like 15 years, right? So he yep. he makes that same point uh, that you made. He looks at it from a like a looking at ratio of share prices to corporate net worth perspective um, and then earnings perspective. So a couple of good charts that are in that. But the, from a surprise perspective, he goes, here's what's going on in the world right now. So stocks getting beaten down across the world. Europe is caught up in a war. Heart's still out with Ukraine. Love that they're making progress, man. Love that they're pushing back, hate yeah. that they have to be. But so Europe in a caught up in a war, energy inflation in Europe has been devastating, right? Mm -hmm. Costs are soaring. So boom, got that. Japan has been Japan for a while. They're hobbled, in his words, by a geriatric population. So their their folks are are aging. Oh, ageist. Come on, Jason. We weren't yes, we weren't talking. <laughs> seriously. Um, China's economic growth is looking weak 
sauce. Oh, when you set right up now. the country every three weeks with every COVID scare, it's hard to it's <laughs> yeah, hard to have a strong economy. They're spinning that wheel. And then if you look at other emerging markets, because the a couple things that are happening with other emerging markets, one, the dollar is so strong, right? The dollar has been going off the cheesy right now, which yeah. hurts emerging markets from a, a currency perspective. And they're getting hit by the the food and energy costs because of the war over in Europe. And so he's just saying like, there's all this stuff going on. International stocks were already not doing as well as U.S. stocks. Then you have these things. Is there some surprise there? That's like, oh, that's, that's the mean, question. I think there will be this. I've been excited about international stocks for three to five years and the performance has been really poor. But you know me, I'm always diving into the biggest dumpster fire I can find. Like this is the biggest dump. Everything is going wrong. And when it mean reverts, man, when those companies turn around or the Ukrainian war ends or energy prices come down and then the dollar comes back to earth, like you could have so many factors going in your favor when it actually flips. Uh, it's just been a really tough, really like 12 years, but especially the last three and and it the last six months have been rougher than I imagined it could get, right? It's like you didn't think it could get any worse, and it got significantly worse. I oh, he always just puts things in such good words. He and Morgan Housel, they can write, man. So we'll put this out Substack, Twitter. Uh, it's good stuff. You got another quick it, hit? It, it is really good. I got one more quick hit, and then I think we'll wrap. So, um, two years ago, thirty-year mortgage rate, uh, two point eight. Average price of a new home in the U.S. was about four hundred k. As of today, 30-year mortgage rate is 6%. Average uh, new price is almost 550 k You know what that did to payments, but let me just spell it out for you, right? It's a $28,000 increase in your down payment required, assuming you put 20% down. And your monthly payment went from about $1,300 a month to $2,600 a month. Basically doubled. I mean, if <laughs> if we continue on the fun train, the optimistic train about how things are going to be great, like, yeah, that seems affordable for your average American. Oh, two years, we'll just double your cost of living. No big deal. I mean, put your game down, flip it and reverse it back to the beginning of this conversation. Because what what our boy was saying, talking about raising interest rates into recession, right? What you had was you had all this mad money coming in, fueling the housing market fueling housing prices going up. So you drove housing prices up. Then once housing prices got up, but interest rates though was low, so payments weren't necessarily as high, but you got housing prices that are up. Housing prices didn't come down all that much. And then you jacked up the interest rates. Yep. Devastation. Well, the housing market is a microcosm of what's happening in the larger economy here. And it's very challenging. Let's just put it that way. What a happy episode. Oh, yeah. If you want more depressing content like this, follow Substack <laughs> at Skippy Doogles <laughs> and the Twitter at Skippy Doogles. Hope you like the rapid fire episode today, guys. Uh, we love listener mail. Hit us at skippydoogles at gmail.com. Rate and review the podcast when you get a chance. And uh, we'll see you next week. Peace. Peace.